So hello listeners and welcome to Fighting Failure, the podcast where we are supposed to discuss solutions to the climate crisis. I'm Isham, your host for today's episode. And I'm Oscar, your co-host for this episode and for the rest of this season. Actually, not the season, this section. This episode is part two to a two-part segment out of the urban expansion section on nature sports. How exciting. So as our populations grow, our cities expand, and there is an increased need to do stuff. Stuff. But lately, what are known as nature sports have taken the spotlight in a lot of the Western world, and increasingly in the developing world. Today, we'll try to cover sustainability and how to be more sustainable in sports from hiking to river swimming. So first off is hiking. Let's do this quick fire. Problems. Trampling grass or strawberry, causing it to die, and making the path into a compacted soil and basalt rock path that easily enables erosion. So basically, stick to the paths, I think, is the point here, because if you have a sort of well-trampled path, that is just, it's going to be well-trampled. And I think it's better to have sort of like one path that is sort of well-trampled, well-maintained for people to sort of meander through, rather than if everyone makes their own way, you could potentially have a sort of a wide range of damage. And I think that's actually the first solution that I've accidentally stolen, which is stay on track so that you do not trample extra vegetation. Uh, And definitely, I mean, if you have listened to um, some of the agriculture section from season one, you will know kind of that there are innumerable problems with soil erosion. I mean, I can go on and on, but I mean, one of the biggest problems is kind of the killing of, of, of the microbes in the soil, which kind of enables the release of the carbon that's stored in the soil, which then becomes carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And uh, additionally, kind of uh, makes it harder for plants to grow in coming years so that it'll kind of make it easier for that area to stay eroded and to erode worse. And then it's kind of a self-sustaining cycle. Uh, and as he just said, this affects animals as well as the microbiomes and causes the release of carbon dioxide. And uh, it's also sort of these nature sports, these nature industries encourage an increase in road networking to accommodate for the rural location of many of these spots. Obviously, asphalt is a huge climate issue. Maintenance of roads is a, is a huge financial issue. Um, and obviously encouraging the driving of vehicles is naturally an environmental issue. Uh, even electric vehicles don't fully solve the problem as uh, there is still uh, production costs, as we talked about in the very first episode of this. Well, not the very first, but episode number one. Um, <clears throat> next, obviously, littering or not respecting wildlife, as in any scenario, any point in time, anywhere on this earth, is a problem. Um, and so, But it's also one that's very easy to solve. Um, and lastly, on long multi-day trips, the use of detergents or soap in natural rivers can kill microbiomes in the water that aid the maintenance of the fish population, leading to the demise of many fish and, and obviously many predatory birds and other animals and sort of the whole food chain is affected. And this is, I think, perhaps one of the most interesting problems with hiking and sort of expeditioning, multi-day expeditions, is sort of what, what do you leave behind? And so there's, you know, 
sort of you know take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footsteps. Um, but I think maybe people don't realize that if you're you know washing your hands with soap or using detergent to wash your clothes on a multi-day trip, um, that you may need to make sure you get like eco-friendly soap or something like that because detergents have a huge problem. Even you know in urban areas there are problems with the release of microfibers and detergents from washing machines and sinks and stuff like that. Anything else to comment on the problems? Sure. No. Uh, why don't we move on to the solution? So in fact, before we go there, I think. Well, sorry, one step. I think uh, I, I forgot myself that the, one of the problems here is like the success of this industry encourages large scale travel. We talked about roads, but actually, I, and I mentioned this in the previous episode about winter sports, listen to that if you haven't already, where there's this thing called the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is a hike I did last year, uh, circumnavigating Mont Blanc. And we got the guidebook for the two. It's not like an official guidebook or anything, but it's a published guidebook with like very detailed instructions for the whole hike, which is very useful when you're hiking the hike. But it says you, how do you get there? And it's like, option A, fly to Geneva and take a taxi to Chamonix to start the walk or something like that. So you can immediately see how it's this, this sort of guidebook is encouraging people who want to sort of experience nature to fly to Geneva and drive to get to the start. Now, obviously, when we did it, we took the train all the way there and all the way back. But uh, it's, if you don't live as close as we do, you know, it's, well, it's in France, Switzerland border area. And we live in Oxford, so it's not that far, but it's relatively far. It's a day, day worth, day's worth of travel. But when you're encouraging people to, like, fly just to have, like, a 14-day hike through the Alps, it's a, a bit iffy because, you know, everywhere has such beautiful places to walk, hopefully. Um, you don't need to fly to the Alps to go walking. And we have, you know, we've gone walking in, in the UK a lot as well, as well. You know, we went to Scotland, took the sleeper train there. That was awesome. So, yeah, keep things local, I think, is what we're saying. Yeah, and this is kind of feeds perfectly into the solutions where one of our points is to just keep things local. Hashtag keep things local. And yes, we are bringing it back because, of course, we want to reduce the strain of travel. Um, so Oscar's already touched on, that. Uh, you know, staying on track to avoid trampling extra vegetation. Um, and then obviously just don't litter ever anywhere for any reason. Um, and don't use detergents in rivers, streams, or lakes. Like if you need to bathe and you're on a hike and there's no like shower or designated area for you to bathe, maybe there's like a bucket of water that you bring up somewhere and there's like a little shack where you bathe. I don't know. But if it's going to actually be in a river or there's going to be like um, affluent water or like whatever that could kind of make it to a stream, avoid the use of detergents, avoid the use of soaps. And just do it the old-fashioned way, just water. When you have the call of nature, make sure you do it away from any water source. Dig And dig out like three feet. Uh, I think generally it's supposed to be like three feet deep. I don't, is it called a cat hole or, or what? But basically you just dig a, yeah, you just dig a, a hole um, in the ground and just, yeah. And use that as your little uh, toilet. No flush, no flush required. Reducing water wastage. Uh, and I guess the last solution for hiking is something that can't necessarily be done by the individual hiker. But if, if you know, you're managing a sort of nature reserve that has open hiking trails, maybe have multiple routes and rotate which ones are open to make sure that the wear is sort of spread evenly and that there's no serious erosion of trails because that could be a problem. Um, you know, something like the Tournament Log is the same route year after year. There's no, there's no change. Uh, really. Um, so I don't know how feasible this is, but if it is feasible, it's good to reduce wear or maybe have tickets that you sell to reduce how many people are using the campsites and putting a strain on the environment as well. And then you did forget the respect the animals you're sharing the space with. 
it's a very important point to make. I mean, it's not not only, you know, for the sake of the animals, but for the sake of yourself. I mean, if you have any care for your life, just avoid the animals. I mean, I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of cases in the U.S. I've, I've been reading a lot of articles about people who approach um, moose and people who approach bears and bison and all types of, like, wild animals that just generally should not be avoided. And then they get trampled or savage or something and then they blame it on the animal and it's not the animal's fault if you're getting close to an animal to take a selfie to take a photo to touch it I, for for you know god knows what reason um it's not good for them and it's not good for you so respect the animals yeah stay safe okay uh next problem is rock climbing one of my so, favorite sports rock climbing like yeah it's one of his show's favorite sports so you know i came clean Last it was about skiing, but I also told you guys how I do it sustainably or as sustainably as I can by um, by taking the train there and eating plant-based food, not being overindulgent. We went to a restaurant, I think, exactly once. Um, so I think we had a sort of minimal carbon footprint while really enjoying that sort of natural area, not using a super overused ski area. Uh, it was a sort of small ski area, um, all those sorts of things. Um, but Hisho is a big fan of rock climbing and he's going to tell you about it. Yeah, so rock climbing, like many of these other nature sports, is quite confusing. It promotes travel to rural locations, which can in turn be very detrimental for obvious reasons, but simultaneously promotes an appreciation for nature. Um, and it's, you know, it's important. Uh, it's an important role in human interaction with nature and in boosting that and in boosting kind of humans, um, the way that humans view nature. Um, but kind of the main problems are, of course, increased travel strain. So people traveling to faraway locations, like there's a ton of sites in the U.S., in the West, um, in the deserts where you can go. There's all different types of climbing. Um, I mean, there's these crazy locations. P people go free climbing. Um, people go like proper like rope climbing. Um, people go lead climbing. And there's all these different places which are known for this. And so people think well, this place is known for this, so that's where I need to go. And so there's this kind of increased travel strain and this kind of increased need to go places to kind of get that experience. Um, and then the next point is uh, human interaction with the rocks, reducing moss and lichen numbers. And moss and lichen are quite important in the absorption of CO2 and other pollutants, as well as the creation of microbiomes and as a larger part of the you know greater ecosystem um, you know, there's certain animals that feed on lichen, even though it's quite, you know, low, has quite a quite low number of nutrients. But nonetheless, they are very important in our ecosystems. And um, kind of if you're sticking your hand in a crevice, you're wearing down the moss, um, perhaps ripping it out. And so then you're reducing moss in that area. And if that area is being climbed a lot, you can, of course, imagine the degrading effect that that would have. You know, there's no moss growing in those areas. And sometimes people intentionally clear um, that moss out and they prune the trees to avoid having that interaction with those um, that kind of plant life. Oscar, do you want to take the last point? The use of chalk. A lot of it comes from China, meaning there's a certain level of unpredictability surrounding the process of extraction and whether or not they're ethical. Also, chalk dust in the air, either from production or excessive use, can be hugely detrimental to people's health, especially to asthmatics, and is very unappealing when it cakes onto surrounding areas, detracting from the natural beauty. Environmentally, however, the chalk can dry out the rock and make it harder for moss to grow in the areas that it was largely used. Chalk has been proved to have degrading effects on soil quality when it accumulates in mass and yield to poor crop yield 
and limited tree growth. You know what, Yisho? I've just read this script that you've written here, but and that's actually really interesting. And I'd never, I'd never ever considered that chalk would be an environmental problem with rock climbing. But you know, like the stuff about drying out the rock makes complete sense because people have the little chalk pouches and they use them to dry out their hands so they can grip the rock better. And so that's actually really interesting for me to hear. And, and that's definitely something that, because I don't usually learn things that much on these podcasts because I usually help write them and, and the like, and you know, we're here to discuss it to educate you guys, but I've definitely learned something new today. But it also just makes complete sense. Like if you've got a ton of people rock climbing and they've all got this chalk pouch, like the chalk pouches, you know, it's it's not huge, but it's like a like a soup bowl sort of size. And yeah. if that's full of chalk I have one in my room. and someone uses all of that chalk and then you have a million people rock climbing every year, You've got like a million soup bowls of chalk. And where is that ending up? That's ending up somewhere. And as you've said here, you know, that could, uh, you know, be an air and that could uh, impact people's health or it could um, have environmental problems of, of like the moss, which is, as we said, a crucial part of the ecosystem. So that's really interesting. Thanks for that, Hisho. Yeah, of course. I'm glad that you've learned something. So, um, so the solutions, I mean, of course, number one on the list is keep things local. Um, if you, you know, if you do something locally and you're listening to this podcast, post a picture and put, you know, kind of put the hashtag, keep things local. Um, <laughs> and uh, the next point is do not intentionally prune trees or remove moss to set roots. Um, in a lot of cases, people remove moss, people remove um, lichen, and people remove trees to make the rock more barren and easier to climb, uh, more practical for the climber. But I mean, I would say just embrace it as a challenge to have that moss there and to I mean, I find moss beautiful. I, I have little moss like gardens. I love transplanting moss. I mean, just appreciate it and uh, and try not to remove it in the process of climbing, of course. And then next point is remove old bolts. So old bolts. So when you, you bolt a root, I don't know, Oscar, if you know about this, but basically they, yeah, do. yeah they, uh, they, they basically, they go up the side of the mountain, they bolt the roots. I mean, it's just these metal bolts that people use when they're lead climbing or to kind of set, set the row by whether it's via repelling or via lead climbing, it's really the same thing. And then, you know, over time these can rust and then, you know, the rust can have um, detrimental effects to like the, you know, surrounding plant life, um, of course. So remove old bolts and then try to stick to the trail. So don't, um, and don't overclimb it. So um, try not to set too many roots, try not to go off the route um, like if you're, you know, on a kind of straight route, try not to go too far to either side. So you're kind of leaving the rest of the rock face, um, kind of naturally intact. And of course, um, like I said, just a couple seconds ago, do not overclimb it. So, you know, try to avoid creating too much climbing traffic in the area. And I, lastly, uh, make sure to minimize the use of chalk, make it a challenge, climb Climb the rock with your sticky and sweaty hands. But if you do use chalk, make sure you bring an old toothbrush to try and clear it. Um, and you can like brush it off the surface of the rock, but also make sure you don't disturb lichen or moss while you're doing that. And this is actually kind of funny because I'm pretty sure there's chalk in toothpaste, but let me just look that up one sec. Yeah, toothpaste can contain magnesium carbonate or calcium carbonate, which are chalk. Um, which is a mild abrasive that is used to sort of rub away the bits of debris on your teeth. You learn something new every day. Wow. Yep. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. Try and use a sustainable, like plant-based uh, toothpaste, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But with, with, yeah, you know, get those bamboo toothbrushes or something like that as well. Um, just because you don't want like excessive plastic. Yeah. So the last nature, sp actually the second last, the penultimate, let's be fancy, the penultimate 
uh, uh, nature sport that we'll be discussing is nature swimming. Problems. Disrespecting the animals in the area. People like chase birds and fish, approach nearby animals. Don't do this. Enjoy the water. Enjoy the sort of aquatic environment like the reeds, whatever. But like don't disturb the fish. Don't chase birds. Don't interrupt bird nests. Um, if you're, if you for some reason have sharks in your river, don't touch the sharks. But I don't think many rivers have sharks in them. If you're in Australia, there might be freshwater crocs there for you. Um, avoid them too um, for your own sake if no one else's. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, interruption of sort of fish, bird, nesting sites, breeding sites. And this is also like we mentioned with hiking, these sort of detergents can be a huge problem. I don't think many people like like clean themselves when they're doing nature swimming. You generally probably have a shower afterwards. But I think a sort of related problem like in a lot of Africa, in Malawi, for example, so many people will take like soap to the river or to the lake and they'll just like wash themselves there with soap and detergents. And uh, obviously there was a huge amount of like soap suds into the water, which is, as we discussed, bad so i don't this is so much of a problem with nature swimming but definitely something to be aware of of you know releasing detergents into sort of natural rivers and the like and that kind of feeds into a whole nother problem of you know of, of kind of the the case of development in malawi i mean the lack of um available running water for people to easily access so that they can clean themselves i mean we're forcing people into the position where they actually have to use these kind of natural uh reservoirs of water natural bodies of water to um, to clean themselves as a, as a source of water for drinking and for cleaning themselves. And so then they're cleaning their bodies in the same water that they're drinking and in the same water that the animals are living in and the same water that they're sourcing their food from. And then that's obviously creating more problems, but that's a whole separate problem. That's a whole tangent. So, oh, wait, 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 wait. One problem left. The uprooting of seaweed and other underwater vegetation can be very harmful to the fragile ecosystems that they house. Again, I don't think that many nature swimmers probably like swim along like, oh, this is a nice bit of seaweed. I'm going to take it home. But one thing I can relate to is that when when I'm in Australia and we're at my grandparents' farm and we're swimming in the dam, like it's like the gra- base of the dam is like covered with sort of like mossy. It's not kelpy, but it's like soft. It's not like grassy. It's like sort of soft vegetation, and we love to like pull it out and throw it at each other. And I don't think it's a huge problem. It seems to grow back. It's very abundant. But like if you're in a much more natural environment than a human-made dam in the middle of uh, Australian countryside, if you're in like the Thames or I don't know what other rivers do people swim in, uh, do be much more conscious of the sort of natural environments and the, the riverbed environments that, you, that you're swimming on top of. And so the solutions. I would, the history is just written, be conscious. Uh, be conscious of what you're doing. Be conscious of who you're impacting, uh, how you're impacting them, and just be aware of the problems and how it's easy to mitigate them. Just don't sort of disrespect the animals, don't interrupt the natural habitats. And also I would add keeping circle. If you're in Oxfordshire, swim in the Thames or the Windrush or the Charwell. Don't like drive to Scotland. I don't know why you'd want to swim in a Scottish river. That'd be freezing cold, but you get my point, right? So uh, if you want more sort of information about nature swimming, there is a link in the show notes document, which will be provided in itself. Like, like the show notes document is a notion document and there's a link within the notion document, but the link to the notion document can be found in the show notes of this episode, right? It's a bit complicated, but it's not that complicated. So just, you know, go to the show notes or whatever. The last uh, nature sport that we'll be discussing is mountain biking, which is something that I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of, but I've definitely done and enjoyed in the past. My dad is an, a huge mountain biking fanatic. Um, and, you know, he's got, gone mountain biking in America with a bunch of friends. Obviously, travel issues there, maybe keep things local. But uh, it is one of the most sustainable sports because um, 
you know, often you do sort of vary the routes, but it's done in summer. So there's not the problem with like snow. Um, and if there are trails, they're generally quite thin um, and already on sort of dusty areas. You don't generally tend to mountain bike. Um, and it's very sort of using the landscape as an obstacle itself rather than needing to like with skiing, needing to like build a piste, you should have like navigate through the landscape. Um, the only real effect is like the tramping of biomass and obviously with anything equipment, like we haven't talked that much about equipment because what is there to say rent, don't buy. But other than that, <clears throat> with like same with winter sports equipment, just rent it. Don't buy new stuff if you don't need it. But, you know, that's going to be a problem with everything that we do is uh, equipment and listen to episode three, Global Supply Chains for more information on that. So I think I think that's all there is to say. Are there any other nature sports to, to mention? I think there might be sort of like subcategories that like rambling that would fit into hiking or camping, but. I mean, there's, there was definitely more that we could go into. I'm figuring uh, stay tuned because we might do a part two to this part two later on. Will we? I, I didn't know that, but anyway, stay tuned. If I don't know what's happening, you definitely don't. So stay tuned people. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, all right, take care. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.